Hello, and welcome back to the Reinforced Running Podcast, where we give you all the insights on how to train for endurance and obstacle course racing. Today, we have professional climber and climbing coach, Charlie Schreiber. And as an OCR athlete, you need better grip strength. You know that. But do you know how to build it? Probably not how Charlie knows how to build it. And and Charlie is a certified strength and conditioning coach. He has been to two bouldering World Cups, three ABC bouldering national championships, five bouldering national cup series events as, and he's also an eight time youth national champion in bouldering events. Uh, he can also ascend V 11s and V 12s, which is just like astonishing to me. I don't even know how to begin to talk about how unreasonably hard that is. So he is a very high level climber. And as a coach, he has uh, first place team victories and regional championships. He has 28 individual national championship invitations and three podium finishes. So he's a great climber and a great coach. So we talk about grip strength, how to build it. We talk about grip endurance, how to build that, and also how to understand the signals of overtraining. So I, I love this conversation. Uh, we could have kept going on and on um, and make sure to have him back because the the information he gave is going to be so helpful for you as an obstacle course racer, just to cut through uh, a lot of the information when it comes to training the grip and just to really do the things that are going to work. I promise you that you'll get a lot of good information from this. I was really happy that Charlie joined me. So let's get it. Charlie Schreiber. I'm just going to lay it out for you a little bit, kind of like my background and where I am with with training, just so you have an idea of like who you're talking to. I'm sure you talk to a, a wide range of people and like you work with some really high level athletes and you yourself are a tremendous athlete in this respect. So I'm been bouldering for maybe like two years and, you know, I got the shoes and the whole deal, but just like in a gym, never been outside. Um, I enjoy it, but I've never necessarily dove all the way in. Um, I kind of wanted to keep some space between myself and this sport just because usually when I start something I will go all the way in and that wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do with this I this was more of a means to an end to improve my grip strength and my body awareness so that I can get better at obstacle course racing which is my my main priority right now so basically I am a beginner so speak to me as a beginner if that's cool sure. um and so we talked a little bit about the sport of obstacle course racing and a lot of the athletes, they will come into the sport. There's a couple of different routes, right? Like there's the, the running route, like someone who, who's running, they've done marathons, they're bored with it, um, and they moved into OCR. Or there's the gym route where they're doing, you know, typical weights like CrossFit and this and that. And sometimes there are climbers who kind of have an endurance background that move in. They're fine. But for the most part, it's the gym athlete or the running athlete. So grip strength is a huge part of this sport. And if it's not something that people have practiced, it's a problem for a lot of people in the beginning. So, um, and a lot of times when I've tried to figure out how to get better at climbing and at grip strength in general, and I'll talk to people within the gym, uh, a lot of the, the people I talk to are just like, I don't know, man, I just kind of climb and then I just get stronger and I'm good to go. But, but you have that strength conditioning background. And so I'm really interested in learning about some of the best ways that you found to grow people's uh, grip strength when you're training them. So if someone comes in and there might be more like uh, on that novice end, like, like me, for example, like what, what do you do to start with grip strength for people? Like, how do you assess and like, what are some movements that you kind of put into place to help people get stronger, like hands, grips, forearms? 
So we're talking about somebody that comes to me as a climber that wants to get better at grip strength? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So easiest way to evaluate someone is to put them on like a standardized edge. If you want to get like the base level of their climbing finger strength, and it's always going to be finger strength we're, we're talking about. Uh, you'd put them on an edge that's about maybe 25 millimeters deep so that they're hanging on almost like a door frame and you'd time them. How long can they hang? So okay. that, that gives you a baseline of their, their basic grip strength. And then you can always make the edge smaller to, or add weight to see what their absolute maximum is. And when you start doing that from the edge, are you, is there a time frame that is more or less standardized that you kind of go off? It's like, okay, you hung for 20 seconds. That puts you in the beginner or the intermediate range, or does it depend on the edge? Like how then do you take the information that you get from the edge hang and like, where do you kind of place them? So uh, I used to use a chart that would have an equivalent, basically like how long they hung on a standardized. And I used a 20 millimeter edge would kind of give you a reading of like, okay, 30 seconds means they should be able to climb. And this is theoretically, they have the strength to be able to climb. What the average person that hangs for this long does is a 511, which is a, a difficulty rating of a, a long climb, like a, a route where you have a rope on. Mm-hmm. Or if you're a boulder, that would be about like a V2 or 3. Okay. Yeah. I speak, yeah, I speak bouldering more. I should kind of yeah. preface that as well. I don't do, I, cause I go to the gym solo typically. So I'm just in there bouldering around. And, um, and also in, in that terms, like, do you find that, do you distinguish between, are there different types of strengths that you are concerned about when building out a program or helping people's grip strength in general? Like we mentioned finger strength when it comes to the ledge, but are you worried? Like, is there like forearm strength involved? Is there like, like hand strength? Like, and how does that kind of break out in your mind? Well, it the first thing, if I'm, I'm going to write a plan or if I'm going to start working with someone, I need to know their goals. So if, usually in what we're talking about is somebody that's probably, if, if we're talking about your listeners, we've got people that are probably not very experienced in climbing, just want to improve their grip strength. Mm-hmm. So I'd ask them, okay, what type of grip obstacles do you usually encounter on the course? So... Climbing is a really fun way to train and it's going to make sure that you're not doing the same exact thing over and over and over so that you're, you're not going to get like an overuse injury or you're not going to get bored mentally or just stall out. So I'll, I'll say, okay, what, what are we grabbing? Let's grab every variation of that type of grip and we'll slowly make it more intense over time and we'll slowly increase the volume over time. Mm. So yes, that's that's perfect because that was something because the hand placement and the angle in which we're we're grabbing for the obstacles is is really what makes the the different obstacles harder or less hard for people. So we'll have like the overhead overhead grip with uh, palm facing forward, like for monkey bars or for like rings, um, and then some other ones where it would be more like a, a vertical obstacle where it would be like a rope or um, like a pipe or something where we'd have to grab. Um, with a vertical and then a lot of, and then other ones that probably don't give as much trouble would be more like a, um, hand, like, like a farmer's walk type of thing. Um, and there is uh, some element of like a pinch grip that uh, for things like the tire flip, surprisingly, like 
the tire for whatever reason it's it's really hard to get under but the lugs on the outside like the best way to kind of grab is to grab a lug and pop it up as opposed to a, a typical um tire flip where you can get your hands under like this tire sits flush on the ground it's on grass and it's muddy sometimes so a lot of times it's like that pinch grip so there's that those three different elements um really what it we talk about in, in our sport. So say someone wants to in, improve their like ability to with the vertical, like going through a pipe or something with a rig that has a pipe or going up a rope. Like what are some exercises that you would give for someone like that? Is it as simple as just like hanging on the rope? Yeah, I would definitely do something that's, you always want to mimic your exact goal as closely as possible and then make it as safe as possible. So Probably with the the rope, I mean, it sounds like you're doing a lot of grips where your your thumb is almost touching your fingers. Like you've got a, like a almost a fist, open fist grip. Yep. So the rope, the bar, I would just hang from like things that require that grip and increase the weight a lot. You know, like maybe isolate it where you are holding something and lifting it off the ground, like a very heavy dumbbell, mm. and maybe use a wider the bell base I know they have like uh, or the bar make it much wider so that that'll make it more difficult uh yeah I mean it sounds like you're only working with one or, or two grips the pinch grip is it's the same thing they make blocks that are different widths that you could easily find something that's the, the same totally even like on the um, what are they called? Campus boards, stuff they called. Um, yeah. They have like those block type of things there. So that's like another good way to kind of just grab onto something like that. Um, but in, in, in you mentioned weight when you are building this type of strength. Like, how do you would you suggest someone like loads this up in terms of the intensity of things? Is it typically with uh, added weight or is it time? Because um, I feel like the Again, I don't know where I stand on this because I feel like the people want the this like dead hang position and just like mm-hmm. hanging dead from a bar and just extending the amount of time they spend there is their primary way of improving their grip strength. And like the loaded piece with the weight is is isn't necessarily um, like the first place that they go to. Uh, is there a blend of both, or how do you kind of go about adding like load to someone's like grip strength? Oh wow, that's uh, I've, I've as you've been adding things into there, I've, it's a long answer for sure. Bring it, uh, yeah. So, uh, first, let me ask: What is the most common reason people fall on the grip obstacles? Are they fatigued out because it's been too much of too much of a load, like too much volume of grabbing, just like over and over, and they're pumped, or is it too difficult? Typical races, like there are one or, one or two types of races that will lead to a potential pump. Um, there are like the races that are obstacle course race world championships. And sometimes at a race called like a savage race where they'll, they'll put back to back grip obstacles. The most um, common race and probably the most popular race is a Spartan race. And there's really not an obstacle long enough to lead to a pump. And they usually spread it out over the course of the of the course of the course. So you usually have several minutes to recover. I've never been pumped in an obstacle in a Spartan race. I have been pumped in the other races. So I would say for this case, let's talk about the Spartan race where it's probably not going to be an issue of someone being pumped. And plus you only get one shot in a Spartan race. And those other races, if you, you, if you fail, you can go back and try again, which can lead to a a pump easier. 
Um, where in Spartan, you fail, uh, you have to do a penalty, and then you move on. Um, so in that case, it's usually technique or just overall strength that, that people, or if the, it's like slippery or like it's like wet or something like that. Right. Okay. So in that case, <clears throat> you definitely want to treat it as like a max strength exercise. So you'd be, I mean, it's kind of like, I know your listeners are much more probably well-versed in like lifting and the sets and reps and rest ratios that you need for that. So you're treating it like the same thing. I mean, you're trying to train the, the, the form flexors. So there's still muscles. I mean, you're working with soft tissue, regardless, you've got some tendons and ligaments that are going to adapt over long periods of time. But to, to get that grip that you're talking about, it's more just the form flexors themselves. So the muscles, so you want to go with higher intensity and give them a long amount of rest. So like, you'd probably be looking at like, hold something that's your near maximum effort for 10 seconds hmm. and then release and rest for about three to five minutes. Maybe it just give it an all out because that max strength is going to make it so that, you know, any obstacle you get, you when whatever you're grabbing is going to feel so much easier because your grip is so much stronger. So you're, you're basically doing two things. You're making the obstacle feel easier. You're also increasing your endurance by increasing your max strength because the same level of grip over and over and over again, let's say that rope that you're grabbing or the monkey bars over and over is going to feel like a joke every time you grab it. So mm. it's not like you're going in with those old hands that it, it's, it felt pretty difficult and you were getting pumped. Now it doesn't feel difficult. So it's not creating that pump. So you're getting stronger. You didn't just work on endurance because if you just worked on endurance, you might get to an obstacle that's, you know, you could hang on all day, but if it's really hard, nobody has endless endurance. Mm-hmm. so you're still going to get that pump or you're just not going to be able to do it without the max strength. Huh? Even so high that- level athletes still like high level sport climbers that are endurance based athletes. They still work that max strength just as often, if not more. So the relative strength seems to be a little bit more important. So it'd be like the equivalent of doing three heavy deadlifts, right. And then, and then waiting the, the, three to five minutes in between to improve the relative strength where like exactly. you won't like the tire doesn't weigh 400 pounds, but if you can deadlift 400 pounds, that tire is going to feel like nothing. Yeah. Like a Kleenex tire. Right. <laughs> right. And then when you're, when, so is that, is the, the sets kind of in that same uh, area of like a power lift where it would be like three to five uh, sets of 10, eight to 10 second holds with long yeah. rest. Yeah. Hmm. Dude, there are so many different variations of, you know, protocols that you can do to train the max strength of grip. I, I like this one. Uh, she's a doctor of hand strength. Her name's Eva Lopez. She's probably the most cutting edge doctor right now, or uh, researcher for, for climbing finger strength. Hmm. And I, I follow her protocol and I have a lot of athletes that do. And from what I've heard and what I've experienced, it's the, it's the most successful that I've seen and it's the easiest to follow. And I think that's part of it. It's simple and it's, it's safe. She leaves you a margin of, uh, of error so that you're never going to absolute max, which is something that's the, the most difficult balance in training your finger strength is not going to failure because you're, you are demanding a lot on the tendons that go through your fingers and your forearms and your hands. So 
those don't recover as fast as the muscles. So if you push them to failure, you know, you're, you're not going to be getting better. You're going to need to recover for three days hmm. and that's not conducive to, to making gains in strength. What does that protocol look like? The Eva Lopez one, like, is it like, ha- like just quick run through of it? So you, uh, you go through a four or five week cycle, depending on um, what your training experience is. Let's, let's assume someone never has done it before. So you go through uh, a five week cycle, you'll do a training session where let's say you're just a Spartan racer. You want to get better at your grip strength. You're going to pick a bar or a a big open hand grip and you're going to hang from it or you're going to hold it for 10 seconds and you could hold it for 14 seconds. You're going to add enough weight or you're going to make the, the edge small enough or the grip hard enough so that you can only hold on for 14 seconds. Okay. At 14 seconds, you fail, but you don't go to 14 seconds. You go to 10 seconds. So you leave a margin of error of four seconds. Then you rest for three minutes. You repeat that twice. You do that again that week. You leave about a day to two days of rest. I like two days of rest. And then you do it again. The next week, you do two hangs. That's it. Again, the week after that, three. Week after that, four. Week after that, four. And then you take a week of rest and you go on to the next cycle. Hmm. Interesting. So it's really like the volume isn't that high. Tiny. Wow. So it's just like intensity. And like, where are you holding the weight? You're like with a belt? Like when you're. Yeah. When I hang, like, I don't know if you can see behind me, I've got a hangboard in my apartment. Mm. Yeah. So I'll I'll hold on to that hang and I've got a weight belt. I can't see it, but it's over there. And I hook up a bunch of weight, hang on to painfully small little edges. And just hang 10 seconds. That's it. And that's the way. No way. So in you, in your case, I mean, you, like you're an extremely high level climber. Like how, how, how much weight will you, like, what is your, like, and when, what's like the jargon that she uses? Cause it would be, cause I mean, I guess that would be what somewhere in like an 75, 80% off of the time domain. Like how heavy can you hold like a 10 seconds? Oh man, dude, that totally depends on what I'm holding on to. Like, I don't know if you can see this board, but it it has little tiny edges that are only seven millimeters deep. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that, I mean, that is like, like that literally fingertips, like <laughs> very tip of the fingertip. It's not like out of your your last little joint, your last digit, your fingertip. It's probably like one eighth of that, not even a quarter pad, maybe less. So if you had a full open hand grip, full open you, hand, like on a jug. Yeah. Like on a bar. Yeah. On a bar. Oh my God. I have no idea. I, I have had on a bar, three people hanging off me. So that's <laughs> over 300 and something, 300 something, something, maybe 400. It was like 400 something pounds. So something you can't really put on a belt. <laughs> yeah. No, there's no way. Yeah. I don't know if there's a, I don't know what the limit is. Right. At that point, yeah, it'd probably be like, probably hurt yourself before yeah. just like getting it set up. Um, cool. That's, that's super interesting. And that's really good to know, right? Because the, the dose, like the, the, the minimum effective dose that you would need for that is pretty low. And like, it yeah. seems like that could fit into a training plan on top of all the other stuff that we would do for obstacle course racing, like pretty seamless without needing to just like do a grip and then more grip stuff and then more grip stuff. So, um, that's great knowledge. And 
on the opposite side, say someone is preparing for something that is going to be more on the uh, uh, like those obstacle course race, world championships race, or a savage race, or something that's going to be more uh, like ninja warrior type stuff, where it's going to be consecutive things, mm-hmm. and it ends up being more of trying to um, fight that pump or, or whatever that's going to look like. W- what does training look like on that end? So, if you're trying to do an endurance base, you could do something very similar. At, at that point, uh, I mean, you're doing so much moving involved. So like uh, just the cardio-based nature of the activity that you're talking about, I would probably isolate the training like you're talking about, uh, like we were just talking about with the strength to improve the grip strength. Mm-hmm. Then while I was doing that, I'd be working the cardio aspect. And okay. then I would shift the focus as the race became a little closer to more of an endurance-based grip training and then also make the training a lot more realistic to the actual event that you're competing in. So as far out as you can, you want to start training the absolute strength. And then as it becomes a little bit closer, you can start upping the endurance, capitalizing on the strength, and then also becoming more confident with the obstacles. So like I knew if I were training an athlete, I would tell them to, let's say we've got like six months before this big event, For these first three, I want to just get your grip as strong as possible. So that way you go in and you have, you just feel more confident on everything. And then we can make even bigger gains on your endurance. So for the next three months, we're going to, oh, and during that strength base, we'll, we'll build a nice base of cardio fitness. Mm. And as the, the next three months come, we'll shift the grip training focus to more of an endurance so that. You know, when you get to that course, you're not going to pump out, but everything's still going to feel easy. You're also not crushing the same energy system for a six month straight and doing the same mode of training six months straight. It, it's great to vary it. Yeah, just, just so like uh, you don't plateau on that. If you just do the same like Eva Lopez protocol over and over and over, I'm sure it does progress at a certain level, but it probably will will plateau at, at some point. What, what does the endurance based training then? look like for that is it similar just adding time and reducing weight or is it going to be like higher like what what does that look like for you to me it totally depends on what what the race looks like okay so be more race specific stuff Yeah. yeah i would always train for i mean you're i'm assuming that with these races you're not you're not clobbering obstacle after obstacle after obstacle with like no rest in between like it's a four minutes on of just gripping. Um, not probably not that much. Like you'll probably get two or three longer, like rig type of obstacles that might take 30 seconds to get through. So maybe like two to three minutes at the maximum at the most intense race, um, which, and sometimes there are ones that are like, okay, this race is, to find who is the best at doing the obstacles where others are going to be more cardio and endurance events. But every now and then there are going to be ones that are going to like hit you with a bunch of obstacles, like right in a row. Okay. It just, it just depends on which one we're going to. Do you usually have any break or is it like a, a long stream? Oh, you know, I've seen some of these. Sometimes it's like you'll get five to 10 obstacles, like all on a, a string, like on a setup rig or something. There are, there are ones that I've seen that has like, you go through a section, you stop and like, you've made it like a third of the way through that obstacle. And then you can start on the next part 
And if you get through that, like you don't have to go all the way to the beginning, but you have to go back to like the, the part that you may have failed. Um, so the rest is going to, yeah. So there's never going to be one that's going to be super long, longer than like a minute, I'm guessing. Maybe not even, but um, but yeah, you can rest as needed. But ideally it would be as little as possible, right? So you can right. keep moving through it. So in that case, I think the best way to train for that would be something like uh, splitting up days between intervals. Like the, I'm just thinking about like what we do for climbing. Uh, we do a mix of what's called power endurance and then just regular endurance. So like a long bout and about double what you would normally do. So if you had like, let's just say a 50 rung monkey bar, you would do, instead of having to do just there, you would do there and back. And you'd give yourself a long break in between, but you'd try to go for quality, focusing on your breathing, focusing on form, trying to make sure that that's the main focus because that's really what you're trying to isolate is just performing and increasing your, you know, the, that, uh, that muscle's ability to, to recover on, on the move, like while it's on the wall. Mm -hmm. So the other days I would probably mix up like maybe half of a monkey bar, but as fast as possible with a little bit of added weight and make a sprint and then stop, drop off, rest for about 10 seconds, do another sprint. So slightly higher intensity, more aggressive, but really focusing on like when the hands are off the bar. So an all out pump and then training the body to recover while it's not gripped. In that short bout that you're off in like those 10 seconds. So that'd be more like in that power endurance realm then? with the weight yes. on it. Yep. Hmm. And that, and those would, and that would be kind of more the race specific stuff. Would you then go like absolute strength? Would you, would you train power endurance before like the, the regular endurance or would you just kind of mix the two depending on the day? Uh, it's usually good to include, you know, uh, power, and power endurance if you have to usually when you do power endurance that's probably the last thing you're doing that day if you're going to then do endurance on top of that it makes the volume would be so much that that'd be really hard to recover from unless you're doing super low amount of reps or sets but the best the uh research has shown that doing power first so like if you were to do at the ending phase of your max strength, like continue a little bit with it and add some days in where you have like uh, a maintenance or even trying to improve your strength through the last three months and then make the, the majority of the focus of that session power endurance after your max strength, give yourself a full day of rest and do, then do uh, a purely uh, endurance day. And that would be a good uh, structure of your week if you did a good blend of those. Hmm. So you've talked about recovery a couple points now and like, and just like making sure that you're able to hit it a, a couple times and from an endurance athlete perspective and one, and, and from a lot of the endurance athletes who come into this sport, like the mindset for better or worse is like more is better, right? Like do a lot. <laughs> and like, that's how you, you kind of improve, but that all, often leads to injury or just kind of burnout. So when training for your grip or, or training training for climbing, like what are some indicators that you like to pay attention to to make sure that people are recovering well 
or that they are pushing to the point where they might start jeopardizing their health? Oh, wow. There's, uh, in climbing, there's a lot of indicators. The best one that I have found is uh, average performance. So usually people can't tell, and, and usually people aren't hurting yet when, they, when they're starting to get injured or they're getting overtrained. Overtraining and climbing, and I'm finding in every sport, that, uh, like with anyone that I work with that does something else, is it, it's so prevalent right now. Like people just push it and push it and push it. I've done it. I'm very guilty of overtraining in countless times in my climbing career. Totally. So I've started keeping a training journal and I like to pay attention to, to a lot of my, like my hang metrics, my, uh, like what I can do when I'm doing my strength training, like pulls, even core, uh, my times when I do hit workouts and just my overall state like how do i feel am i constantly exhausted how long has that been going on like if i write in my training journal if i have two days in a row that are bad or that feel bad even if i'm doing all right if i'm feeling bad there's there's something wrong Mm -hmm. i mean i i can feel wrecked for, for from a workout but i should be recovering i should be getting better when i'm at my best i can't keep digging myself down and down and down and expect to be getting better. At what point? When am I going to take the rest to recover? So I, to guarantee that I do get that and to guarantee that I don't run myself completely into the ground and have to take massive steps back, I schedule full rest weeks every seven weeks. Seven weeks. So I know that for these six weeks, sometimes it varies if I have a trip. Like it can be as short as four weeks. I'll take a rest week if it's really intense and then I end those four weeks with a, a performance trip or a competition. But I, I really like to look at my athletes training journals, their, their packets that I create for them, they record everything. And if I notice that they've been, their performance hasn't been what it should be or what it has been in the recent past, I know that they're pushing themselves too hard. They're not getting the right sleep. Their nutrition isn't there. Maybe they're not hydrating. I mean, I ask a ton of questions, but if, if you're a serious athlete, recovery is the secret. I mean, it's how you train yourself, number one, how you recover, and how you respect your recovery. You can only get better by recovering. I love that concept of, like, feeling bad and, like, recognizing it, you know, like, because sometimes it's just, like, what people expect. And it's like, oh, I feel bad. And there's a point where, yes, there's going to be accumulated fatigue to get you to a point, and, like, you're probably not going to feel your best but like feeling bad is a good indicator and like i like that you're very proactive on it too it's like two days and then it's like okay what what's going on like let me figure this out um but in terms of being proactive like how do you go about like the recovery piece for for yourself and for the athletes that that you coach like is there anything specific that you prescribe or that you do to help your own recovery absolutely don't do anything. <laughs> Stop doing what's making you tired. How many, I mean, like, realistically, if you're, if you're an athlete and you've been doing a sport for, you know, any more than like, I want to say a year, honestly, how many times are you going to have to run yourself into the ground, be forced to take rest days, go through that period that we all go through when we're like, oh my God, I, I can't do it for two days. I'm going to get so weak. Oh man, dude, like, hey guys, like, what, what can I do while I'm resting? And somebody says, dude, just chill. Or you just don't do anything. You come back three or four, five, six days later. Oh my God, I'm going to be so weak. And you, you 
PR that day. <laughs> it was better. Or yeah. you have an amazing day. It's like, how, how many times are you going to do that before you realize like, oh, resting for longer than I think is good. Well, how, because that is a thing, right? Like that is a barrier that's going to be there and it's something that consistently comes, right? It's like I put on all this work. I'm going to have to start from, from zero. It's like, if I keep progressing, like maybe I'll just, maybe I will just feel better. <laughs> like how, how many times did that happen to you? And like, how did you then drill it into your, your own brain that like, I need to actually rest here? Uh, I, a while ago, I, I found myself in limbo, just like up, down, up, down, up, down. My training just looked ri- ridiculous. Like my, if I looked at my performance, it was completely erratic square like i'd take one step forward one step back one step forward one step back i was like what's going on i'm i'm not partying at all i don't drink i treat my body with the utmost respect i get i try to sleep well i've actually got a few sleeping issues that i've recently corrected and i've been feeling even better but i i would look at everything i'd think okay what are my truths what do i always forget okay I can't. It turns out, wait, I'm not treating my body with as much respect as I think. I'm on like every other weekend, I go out with my fiance. We're like, you know, we always eat home. Let's let's eat out. And I'll have a big training session. And then I'll stay out a little bit late and I'll eat crap. That'll make my stomach feel like garbage because I rarely eat it. I'll get terrible sleep. And then I won't rest as much as I need. And I'll dig myself a little bit of a hole. And it takes me three days to get out of that hole. Mm. And then I'm anticipating that my training is going to be perfect. I'm going to perfectly recover. I don't have any hard labor to do at work. My training session is going to be absolutely ideal. So things like that or uh, days where I would be setting in the gym. And I know that I'm going to be doing a low level of physical labor all day for like eight hours. And then I'm going to train after that. What am I thinking? Mm. Can't be doing that. Right. That's like a 10 hour training day. If you think about it. Along those lines, cause that's definitely a huge barrier for a lot of people, especially for people who aren't training full time, right. Who do have jobs and have families and have life stress, especially now, like with COVID stuff, like this stress is just piling on from all angles. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you help manage that type of stress for some, for, and, and how do you know when to push forward and when to kind of back off in, in that respect? Um, well, what I kind of got off the track of was, uh, my, those truths. So I, I made a list of things that I know are, are the things that I need to do and things that I absolutely can't do. It's true that if I do X, my my climbing will suffer. It's true. I've confirmed that over 14 years of experimenting and validating the, these thoughts. So it, it, I want to get rid of all of those. I also want to get rid of any questions and any, you know, like, why is this happening? I don't want to know. I, I don't want to be wondering why I want to know what to do mm. at this point. I should know what to do. So I, I create plans to mitigate stress because if your performance is suffering and you're kind of just going in the gym, you know, just doing things at a whim. Like, I think this is what I need today. Oh, man, I'm kind of tired. I guess I'll dial it down a little bit. Like, why are you not at this point, if that happens frequently, why have you not written yourself out a training plan that works for your schedule, that works for your body, that you've tested in the past and has led to increased results? 
if it worked, do it again. Stop deviating. Hmm. That's one less thing to worry about. You're going to improve. Just take your time, go through the plan, do all the steps. Don't do anything different for a little bit. Have some, try to have as much discipline as you can. And generally when I do that, I feel much less stressed, much happier. My performance increases and it's, it's a better system that I can do again and again. So it's a lot about like having a plan that you feel confident in and, and making sure that it, it, it's, you, you stick to it, but one that's reasonable that you're not overdoing things. And you seem pretty meticulous around that. Are, are, are you with the journaling part? Is that a constant for you? Are you always writing down like how things are or, or is it, yep. is it a paper journal or, or yes. and then how often do you review that? Uh, I review it every single time I climb. Yeah. I, I mean, we, the, the climbing I do, I boulder and I, with my schedule, I'm, I'd say I'm like 50% of the time alone. So if, if I'm, if I'm climbing and I've got my journal with me, I'm, I'm, I'm reading it and which is every time. So, cause yeah, there's a, there, there's the act of like journaling and then there's the act of like reviewing the journaling and both those, like you need, there's like time associated with that. So you need to kind of create that space, right? And is it, is that just something you've driven in as far as habit or like, because that's, that's like you can journal all you want, but getting the information and going back and figuring it out, like that's a whole different part. Is that something you recommend for people to start right away? Like just journal, like, and, and the reviewing process, do you also prescribe to your athletes to review that? Or is that something you're doing for them? We usually review together, but I mean, it, it's pretty easy to look back at your journal with, uh, with like, I, I guess with, with vague guidance from somebody else. And if something goes awry, you know, like you don't need to look back if, if something has worked and it gave you great results, do it again. It can, it can be refined. Sure. If there's something that you really think could be, we always review, even if it's a, has been a great cycle, but if it's bad, we'll, we'll look back and it's usually pretty obvious that, okay, you're, the volume is crazy here. And then you train the next day. Mm. Okay. So in the next plan, we are not going to do that. We're going to cut the volume in half. We're actually going to cut the total volume by like to a quarter of what it is right now. Because you're training way too much. You're constantly tired. Yeah. And the journal will say. Right. It'll show. And like when, especially with volume, right? Because it's just like, because like you said, it's like go and go and do more and do more. And like that seems to be, and sometimes it works, right? And people probably see success for that for a while until it gets to a point where it's like, okay, now you've overstepped. So having that documented has to be a really helpful part to see like where that like tipping point is and where the volume doesn't serve you well anymore. Right. Um, yeah. And it's usually the volume combined with intensity. Like volume training is awesome. I know for endurance athletes, I prescribe tons of volume, right? but the intensity has to be low. Right. Right. And doing trying to increase both at the same time is just a recipe for disaster. It's just really hard. It. it kills you. I know. You're like, I'm, I'm, I could just do more of everything. That's how, yep. that's how I'll be. Right? It's like, it's like the, you're the first person who thought of that. Like not everybody's right. going to do that. <laughs> yeah. um, so kind of going back to some of the, the application of this stuff. Um, and another thing that I consider with these obstacles and why it's a struggle for people is like, just like moving through space and like figuring out how to create the body awareness so that they can take their body from one bar and move it to the other one. Like if the re- required strength is there, that's, that's one thing, but like 
getting through things in a smooth and like athletic way is, is like a whole different thing. Like actually knowing how to do the obstacles. Um, so outside of, of doing, of like actually, you know, climbing or doing the, the obstacles themselves, like how do you think people could help their like body awareness and actually like what in your experience, like, what percentage leads to better success? Is it the awareness of the body or is it the strength of the hands, fingers, and forearms and things like that? Okay. So it's absolutely a combination. Obviously the the best athlete is the one who's the strongest with the most spatial awareness, (laughs) but you get all types of blends. I mean, there are some people that are really not that strong at all, but have such excellent technique that they can just, crush their way through any climb they're always going to find a way to slither through it looks like they're just like slimily crawling their way up the wall but you also get some dudes that they they can't even use their feet which is like something you use you like learn in like year two like how to actually place your toes and to climb well with good foot form and but they're so strong that they can almost like just campus which is climbing with just your arms Mm. up some of the hardest climbs Hmm. So for obstacle course racing, I mean, well, anything, you want to practice the the technical part of the sport as much as you can. I mean, you want to get on as many movements. We call it time on the wall where you're just putting in the time, just creating those neurological pathways that are enforcing proper muscle mechanics, proper muscle memory with the most common patterns that you're going to encounter. So we, we do that as much as you can in the early stages of learning. And then once you realize, okay, your technique is now surpassing your your strength, let's catch up with your strength. Or your strength is surpassing your technique, let's catch up with your technique. Hmm. So you train those at the same time, or do you yeah. kind of wave it in that in that way, or do you do you do both? You you kind of have to do both because it, especially with kids, it takes. If you focus on just one thing, I mean with anybody, but especially with kids, you can see it a lot is kids will completely forget virtually how to use their technique. Mm. They don't lose as much strength as adults from what I've seen, or it comes back much faster, but it's usually best to have them both going at the same time. Because if you focus, I mean, ideally the best is when you're focusing on a perfect blend at the same exact time, like with climbing, you put them on a climb that requires uh, a, a serious attention to technique, but also demands that you be very strong. Right. So that's what the, I mean, that's your most realistic to what your goals are is a, a climb like that. You're never going to get a climb. That's just one. Yeah. And that's right. And that's like the thing with this is like, and what I found for obstacle racing, and I, I've spoken about this before, but there's something to be said about the experience that people have. And like, there's this culture within, o, within OCR where like people race a lot and in endurance training, endurance racing, it's really not like that. It's like you race hard, like once a month and then you train and recover. But in OCR, it's like people do a bunch of races over and over and like, they actually kind of get better because like the obstacles are the obstacles, right. And like learning how to get through them. Um, so definitely getting to a place that has the, like the, the ninja stuff is helpful. Um, are there any like drills or anything that you've, that you've found have helped with like body awareness that might not be like sports specific or anything that you can, like, you can just like 
here, do this type of thing. And it might help um, translate a little yeah. bit. Like if their motor patterns are just like completely out of whack. For sure. I mean, you could do, uh, I, I think that slack lining or any balance mm-hmm. training is like the fundamental, but any coordination drills that you can find online. Like I know there's a, a bunch of great coordination coaches online. I was talking to a few about doing workshops with my kids uh, and spatial awareness is like what they, you know, they have a, a degree in or uh, I forget. There's a, there's a name for one of the guys is like an absolute master. He works with a ton of top level athletes. I'll have to look at that. But uh, being honest, like, like you said, the absolute best thing is just do a bunch of hard obstacle courses. Yeah. Do them as often as possible, as frequently as possible. It, like there should be a phase when you're done. You're not strength training anymore. Like you've got a race coming up in like three weeks. I would just do as much obstacle course racing as possible. Like every day for like an hour. Never get too tired. Always leave some in the tank so you can train the next day. You just want to constantly take a small step up, 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 up every day. Your strength isn't going to decrease. You can stop doing that because you're constantly using it. And you're going to gain confidence and movement patterns are going to be fresh. Yeah, that, that, that's smart, right? And that's something that I, I've definitely had a problem with in, in previous years. Like I will train all endurance or like all strength and then just get to the race and be like, Let's hope this goes well. And then right. it doesn't. <laughs> so yeah. um, definitely like trying to stay on that. And that's why I hope there's, there end up being more places like the factory or um, like i that just pop up that people can access a little bit more. And, and hopefully that will continue to be the case um, for people to have more access to, to obstacles themselves. Um, I know you got to run a little bit, but um, if there is like a piece of bad advice that you hear, getting dished out to beginners or to climbers or to people trying to improve their grip strength? Like what is it that, and what should people avoid um, when, when, when they hear this type of stuff? Ooh, good question. Oh God. Bad advice. Hmm. Um, I, I, you know, nothing pops into mind. I, I, I feel like I constantly have that thought though, when I hear it, Yeah, you, know, hear, like, you overheard conversation, you're just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I think the biggest one is like, Oh, when you lift heavy, uh, or, or like weightlifting is going to make your arms big or you don't want to bulk up. It's like, uh, wh- where's, where's that mass coming from? Is it coming from the weight? Is it like when you grab the heavy weight, some of that weight transfers into you? Is that what happens? <laughs> or is it the food you're eating afterwards? Yeah, thank you so much for like me- mentioning that. Cause I didn't even think about, I'm sure that is something that is uh, a real like thing on, on the top of mind for climbers is like the, the power to weight ratio, right? So body weight is probably something that you think about a lot and same with endurance sports. And that's a, I, that I encounter that a lot with strength training. It's like, oh, I just don't want to kind of bulk up even just like looking at workouts. People will be like, well, this, this, I feel like this will make add some bulk. I love that bulky is always the word too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, well, you have to eat for it. Like you just can't like, if it was that easy to get jacked, there'd be a lot of jacked people out there. There's not that many jacked people, you know? Yep. <laughs> so I love that. That's a good one. Um, well, cool, man. I'll, I'll let you get rolling. So, uh, why don't you tell uh, 
um, fill us in about some of the stuff you got going on, some of the coaching you got, um, your YouTube channel and where we could kind of find you. Yeah. So my YouTube channel is paradigm climbing. That's also the name of the coaching that I do online, but I also do uh, private training uh, through reach climbing fitness and over at the factory. Uh, that's where I have my climbing teams, adult and youth. And I also write private training plans on the side uh, through uh, paradigm climbing, but you don't necessarily have to go through the Patreon that I created. Uh, I, I can work with people over the phone. Uh, payment goes through Venmo. I think it's a lot easier, better communication. Uh, other than that, I'm just uh, right now I'm psyched on chess and drawing and building this business as much as I can at the at the factory and you, enjoying climbing and training myself. Did you watch Queen's Gambit or something? I did. Yep. <laughs> and yep, now, now you're in. Yeah, I used to. I used to love chess when I was younger and did a bunch of tournaments and everything. And then I forgot about it completely until I saw Queen's Gambit, and I was like, "Oh, oh right, yeah. I love that." Yeah, I did some chess tournaments when I was younger, like real young, and I would just go and get rolled, go get crushed. Oh, <laughs> just get absolutely worked. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally. Like, I wasn't that good. <laughs> Are you playing online? Like, how do you play? Oh yeah, chess.com. Chess.com. It's that simple. Charlie Fine. climbs 46. Come see me. Um, yeah, come see me on the board. <laughs> and uh, are you selling some of that art? I saw you had like some cool stickers that were that were really cool. Oh, uh, or no, just I'm make not those for you? Any art. Yeah, just doodle. Cool, man. Doodle yeah. and paint a little bit. Nice. Well, I'll make sure to um, link to all of the things you, you talked about in the show notes um, and how people can kind of get a hold of you. I'll link to your, to your IG as well. But, dude, I appreciate you popping on. This was awesome. I think there's a lot of great takeaways, and um, that'll be it for us. We'll, uh, I'll hit stop, and we'll stay on for a little bit, but that'll be it for, for us, man. I'll talk to you soon. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, you know, I really want to talk about flow state. Do you have time? That's like the, I don't. I really don't. I got to make it to this private lesson. But we'll, bring you, we'll bring you back, and we'll talk about flow state. Yeah, that would be cool because that's like – I kept thinking about like the parallels between climbing and Spartan racing. And I just like, I had it in my notes of things I wanted to talk about. Did you read that book yeah. that what Mihail chick said, Mihail or whatever it is that it, he wrote that book called flow. I think. No, I didn't. Yeah. I, I, I didn't either. I just know the author's name. That's all. Yeah. No, it's uh, mentioned in Jerry Moffat's mastermind, which is like a climbing Bible. It's oh, just, cool. It's mentioned a bunch of books I've read about climbing training. Yeah, we'll bring you back to, to to talk about some flow state stuff down the road, man. But I, I appreciate it. Get to your your training stuff, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Awesome, Rich. Thanks for the time. Later. Bye. All right, that was awesome. Please make sure to give Charlie a follow on IG as well. It's Charlie with an IE forty six. And if you do that, you will certainly feel terrible about your grip strength and your climbing ability because he is fantastic. Uh, also, if you're enjoying the Reinforced Running Podcast episodes, give us a quick rating and review. It would mean a lot. So I think all you guys get out there, get stronger grip, get better endurance, and be awesome at obstacle course racing. Talk to you soon.